It was everything. It, it was graphics and it was product and it was furniture and it was interiors and it was colour and it was texture. It was like, it was just everything that you could control in this space through this one channel, if you like. Mm. And, and that's what really excited me about interior design, that you can genuinely make people feel different in a three-dimensional environment. Welcome to Design Pod with me, Hamish Kilburn, the editor of Hotel Designs. For the last episode in this series, sponsored by Geberit, I wanted to explore unconventional design narratives. Cue the arrival of John Williams, whose voice you just heard. John is the founding director of Space Invader, a design studio that has, for more than a decade, been shaking things up on the hospitality scene on a global scale by putting people first to create extraordinary spaces and experiences. John is a ball of energy, and I started our conversation by tracing things back and learning about how Space Invader was formed. John, thank you so much for being on the podcast with us. Just to explain where you are. Uh, so right now I am in a podcast studio in the middle of Manchester. Just uh, so we're in, I'm in a building where my studio actually sits. You can probably see the lovely backdrop here, Hamish, which... Um, yeah, it looks like a fake backdrop to me. <laughs> it's not. It's 100% real. So this is Circle Square. So this is actually a development on the old BBC site. It looks like you're in the middle of downtown Chicago, which is exactly why I like it. Uh, so it's probably quite a bit strategic being sat where I'm sat at the Monday Times, but no, I can I can reassure you, it is, it is a real backdrop. I like it. And Manchester's your stomping ground, right? It is, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I love this city. I've, you know, practiced here for quite a long time now. Born and bred here. Um, as much as, you know, we, work, we love working up and down the country and across the world, this is where it's at for me. It's all about Manchester yeah. and, and the people. There's, there's so much creativity locked in the, in the city. I lived there not very long for six months, but I have to say that with Manchester, you kind of, I don't know, it's really friendly and really approachable, but there's definitely, I don't know, you have to really get into like the raw nitty gritty side of Manchester to really understand its culture, right? I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I mean, it is it is a small space, but there is so much going on. And, you know, it, it's just a great, a great city, certainly from a creative uh, perspective. And that's, you know, that's across sort of music, it's across, you know, design, it's across architecture, you know, all those great things. It's... Um, Manchester is such a great, great city steeped in history. It's, um, you know, it's, it, it's genuinely lovely to be a part of it. For sure. And I think it's so apt with the, the topic that we've got today. So this is our last episode of the series. We wanted to go out with a bit of a bang. So we're, we're looking at unconventional design narratives. And that's not to say by any stretch of the imagination that all you do is challenge the convention every step of the way. But I have definitely seen in your projects, you know, a, a unique flair, which I think comes from the culture of the, the design studio. And that's definitely what mm. we want to sort of tap into today. So Space Invader, talk to me about Space Invader. So it launched in 2009. Quite a risky time to launch a new business, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think, well, yes, it was most definitely a boy. <laughs> I mean, just all I can say, it just felt right at the time. I think on a personal level, I knew that I wanted my own practice at some point. And, you know, everybody sort of has their own different background and, you know, and, and the reasons why they do things. But, I, you know, for me personally, I knew I'd do something on my own. And when I, when I was at university, it was clear that was going to be a, a design studio. And that was as much it about, you know, standing on my own two feet, but probably more is being part of something that is a collaboration that decides its own creative direction. 
you know, that kind of really, really excited me. But yeah, you know, it, we, we set Space Invader up in, in 2009, which was just, a, a, let's say, a, a year or so into the recession. And yeah, as I say, it just felt right. You know, the, it, it, we just believed really in the idea of doing it. And I think probably what was, you know, different probably from London um, in Manchester was that they, they, they didn't, so certainly I didn't know of a pure interior design studio um, that wasn't wasn't bolted to an architect or a contractor or whatever and so that in itself was different then doing it in a recession was you know okay that's another level but you know it, it kind of didn't deter us and and I think the name is kind of a representation of that you know what we did was probably a bit simple but definitely definitely <laughs> definitely brave um do you know what wasn't simple was the the launch of it which I'm, yeah. i know you're going to tell me about which yeah yeah I'll, yeah well <laughs> yeah um i'll tell you that in a second but um yeah so you know it, it was definitely rebellious and in fact just just referencing that story we would kind of been planning the launch of it for a, for a couple of months actually getting excited about it and we knew that we wanted to do something in the press you know, in the in the Manchester Evening News, it's kind of the local city press. So we'd, we'd come up with this before, idea. Before, before you start, describe to me what you were doing at the time. So what was your kind of working environment like in the studio? You Without referencing it, because obviously you don't want anyone to get into yeah. trouble, but what was it like being a designer and architect at the time? And what was it that you wanted to change? And, and, and why did you set up the studio? Good question. So I think it leads to... us on to the story. Let's yeah, let yeah. our listeners yeah, keep yeah, sort yeah. of like stirring yeah. a little bit. Um, <laughs> not you know being part of an architecture practice it's you know it's great and you learn so much and I, I guess the sort of the attention to detail that wanting to make sure it works that technical element definitely is what you learn in an architect's practice and and, and that's mm -hmm. great but I think the difference between that and Space Invader is there's just so much more creative freedom it's about it's about the project it's not about the architect or you know the process no, i see that i totally see that even the way you you select the name i mean a lot of interior design studios that launched in that time and architect studios you know it would have been john williams interiors whereas yeah. you know you've decided to take yourself away from it and not allow mm. ego to drive the studio and actually allow the creative decisions and the team yeah. around it which is what yeah. i see in your studio time and time again yeah that's a great message no, it's, it, it's brilliant. There just seems to be more texture to an interior design studio. And again, that's not to take anything away from an architecture practice. It just seems to be a, an extra level of depth when it comes to interiors. Everything works together from you know the bric-a-brac to the artwork to the texture of the fabric to you know a wall finish. That just takes an extra level of depth of thought. We kind of wanted to break away and have this pure interior design studio. So you know, it was quite brave at the time. We decided this one Saturday morning and lovely, wet Manchester morning in Castlefield <laughs> uh, that, we'd, that we'd, we'd set up this sort of epic photo shoot uh, underneath <laughs> this massive iron industrial bridge next to the Manchester ship canal. And uh, it was all sort of, you know, secret squirrel and whatnot. And we'd sort of driven down the motorway at 4.30 in the morning to pick up some furniture and I would set up this scene. It was all like, right, we need to get it done before, you know, before everybody's out of bed and whatnot. So we're in the middle of this shoot <laughs> and one of the uh, architects for the architecture practice that we were working for just sort of ran past on his morning jog. And, you know, we sort oh of, we're God. there mid-shoot, you know, sort of all posing. Does this look good? Do I look good in this? How does this... <laughs> 
And this guy just comes running past and he just kind of stopped and just went, what are you doing? And we, you know, I mean, we had no words. We had nothing to say. We just could have just said you're a model. Well, we just could. Yep. Doing what? In a wrong load of furniture and some carpets placed on a, you know, a Manchester. It's fashion. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah. So we were definitely lost for words. And um, oh god, we just kind of. What did up, you we, tell him? We just made up this blag that we, we were being part of a, you know, photo shoot for a new, a new line of furniture, which he sort of, he sort of took. And then as he sort of ran off in the distance, you could see him sort of look back over his shoulder and a bit puzzled and thinking, what, on a Saturday morning? And then he just sort of ran off. And so anyway, the rest is the rest is sort of history. It um, sounds like a sketch, been running back and asking, <clears throat> what, on a Saturday morning? Yeah, 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 it was. It was just, uh, it was thought we got so away. So when, when did that go live after the shoot? When did that story break? Oh, God. Um, I don't, I've still Were got, you still working still... at the time? No, 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 no. So we we okay. sort of we we did the shoe as as to have you know a bit of collateral in our back pocket. So, mm-hmm. uh, but we did the shoe, and then it probably six months after um, <clears throat> we launched, maybe three. So, so, can you believe thirteen, fourteen years have passed since you've launched? I mean, I, I personally think the last decade is just like rushed by. It's it's crazy how things have changed, but also you've become like a super established design practice internationally with the projects you've worked on and yeah. are working on. And I, I yeah. guess like one project kind of leads to the other. What is it about your studio and the culture that you think clients really resonate with? I think whilst we sort of push and evolve on every project and every stage of every project, we're not out to be sort of disruptors or, you know, doing things for the sake of doing things. That is a bit of an ego-based scenario. and we're about collaboration and that's collaboration as a studio with each other you know as well as our clients and it's about creating an authentic product which is specific to a client and their project and if you look at our portfolio you know every single project is different and you know and I certainly get a buzz out of starting a new project completely ripping up the rule book and going right what angle are we going to come at this from and and it's every time it's so different Um, and what's your day-to-day responsibility when you're in the studio? Do you have a hand on on all the projects that are happening? Yeah, I do, actually. I do. There's two things. There's what you have to do and there's what you enjoy doing, isn't there? <laughs> so, <laughs> Same um, with any work. <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. So um, there's obviously the running, uh, the operational parts of the studio, which you've, you've kind of got to do. And obviously I've got a great team sort of helping me do that in various parts. But for me, I personally, I love meeting people. I love meeting new people. I love listening to clients and what their problems are and then going back with a solution and and giving them something that they've not particularly thought about that's really what I get a kick out of and then developing a concept and a narrative based on a place or a a person or whatever it is I I love sort of having this backstory to something and and I love delivering it and seeing that sort of look on your client's face and they were like wow you know you've really gone off on a tangent here but I can see how that's genuinely going to sort of benefit me so that's kind of so yeah I am involved in everything you know and and, you know I'm I'm on the tools as well from time to time as well I don't mind doing some space planning or some modeling or whatever so yeah and I'm I'm definitely definitely involved yeah in all the projects so and that's what I enjoy so I think with this topic you know looking at unconventional design narratives a great place to start really is looking at hotels because on the outside Mm. they look pretty formulaic you have a lobby you'll have F&B spaces and then you obviously have the guest rooms and the private spaces and the wellness areas Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the projects that you've completed and, and what you're looking at now where do you usually identify 
the places where where you can do something different is is it in the public areas where where i would imagine because it's obviously a space that's kind of you know high traffic and also a space kind of there to to create a lasting impression on the guests or are you able to also inject that in the guest rooms where where do you feel more comfortable sort of pushing the boundaries uh, i mean i i've certainly don't have a, a, i don't look for a specific area start of a project where i'm where you're going to sort of find something different. I think when, when you're in a space physically or you're at the location of that space, that's kind of where it all starts. You, know, you suddenly kind of spot this particular view or a connection to nature, or you see something maybe on a plan that just looks like a, probably a slightly awkward bit of space. And that's when the ideas come, you know, <clears throat> therein lies the opportunity. I think often that comes about with, an, with a sort of an existing building more easily because, yeah. you, well, you can go there. There's, there's usually a kind of a back of house space that was probably quite redundant. And now you, you can transform this space into, you know, into something that's front of house. And, you know, it probably lacked purpose. And now it's just sort of begging for this new use and, um, you know, it might have a piece of historical significance. Mm. I mean, there's a couple of examples. I mean, I was working on a building not just around the corner, actually, and, and we were stripping the building out. We had no idea. In fact, it was one of the first couple of projects we ever did. And we sort of uncovered this massive steel structure in the middle of the building. And it was like, oh, my God, you know, professional indemnity insurance, you've gone out the window, all the stuff that you panic about, that you know, when you're only sort of a young studio. Anyway, that turns out to be the steel structure that actually carried the first ever computer which was made in Manchester um and we were just like we just we couldn't believe it you know so but there's there's other you know there's loads of exit I mean we we found what what happens to it did it just become part of the design yeah we could 100% we kept it as part of design exposed all this sort of beautiful rivets these sort of big pieces of steel we used some of it for a functional element because we were creating a sort of this super secure sort of Ministry of Defence kind of room, so it needed all sort of you know extra strength to it and whatnot. So yeah, no, no, hundred percent. That's what it's on. I mean, we found um, a hole in the roof in a hotel project, and we actually framed that and glazed it and put underneath it this sort of little telescope and created this kind of stargazing element in a room. That was a really nice example of sort of uncovering something we we found in another hotel, and this was a, an existing building we basically stripped out the ceiling in the upper floors and exposed these beautiful kind of rafters. The ceiling was just super high. It was amazing. So we actually built a mezzanine, put two rows of cinema seats and created this room that was, you know, you could be um, this kind of cinema experience for families. You know, you could get room service there. And, you know, if you've got kids there, there with the family, I've got kids, you know, you could go and do a day out in the city, come back and watch a movie and have this sort of old kind of, this whole sort of special um, experience. Mm. So, you know, there's, there's loads of different ways you can, you can bring that sort of a little bit of a difference. I guess it's kind of like, they kind of find you those moments, you know, absolutely. in a project. Yeah. And it's absolutely. almost like that you're, you're answering to the, the building and the architecture and kind of asking it what's appropriate yeah. as, as you're going along. Yeah, it's, it's being respectful, isn't it, to the building? And I think once it's in, it's kind of like there's nothing else that could have possibly gone in this space other than that, what's in it right yeah, now. You know, yeah. It's like that feeling of like, yeah, that's definitely right. You know, that's. But that's part of the process. Do you ever get worried at the beginning of a project? Do you ever, ever feel like you can't quite see where the direction's going? And then it kind of just like the penny just drops and something just kind of comes to your mind and it just works? 
it's both things. Sometimes it's there. The pure idea is there instantly and that's it. It can't be anything else. You know, that's the concept. That's where we're going. And sometimes it's not. And it's, you know, and that is the fun part of it. I mean, I've literally got a project in this morning in the studio where one of the guys is, you know, what we're going to do now. And I just said, look, this is why we do what we do. You know, it's the fact that there's a perceived barrier there for us to problem solve and get through. Brilliant. Great. That's why you come to work. That's why we work together in the studio. That's what yeah. it's all about. And um, yeah, so I think if it's there, brilliant. If it's not brilliant, you know, that's what it's all about. <laughs> it's all brilliant. It is. It is. <laughs> well, I guess a really good example with all of this is, and I've, I'd love to know more about this project as ever since I heard about it, but Wilds in Chester, the, the project you're working with, because it seems to me like the client is super progressive, super understanding, super on board with, you know, ideas that kind of go a bit crazy talk to us about the design narrative on on that project yes so whilst chester the client as progressive as i'm saying <laughs> no 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 he is you know the, the paul the client is, is a brilliant developer he's just um he's got you know we talked about respect for buildings he has that in spades you know he's he loves chester he loves the building and you know he's prepared to do what's right for that building and you know, you've got to you've got to respect him for that but yeah you know it's a beautiful grade two listed building it's sort of surrounded by <clears throat> it's in the rose part of chester which is just this kind of sort of amazing treasure trove of historical interest and uh, you can't help but sort of you know you're looking around all over the place and there's something there and there's something there wow that's sort of 600 years old wow that's you know it's it's an amazing part of the world it's also um, made up by three townhouses it dates back to the 1890s i believe like there's there's so much history contained into those buildings but i can imagine also that those buildings have their own identity almost it must be quite difficult to then create a cohesive design narrative that combines them but also keeps them to still protect their identity maybe yeah i mean you know look there's, there's you could go down so many paths with a building and a place like that but actually in the particular instance in the of uh, of wilds it was it was a bit of right well let's let's just go down a single thread with quite a simple narrative and then let's mm. see what that opens up so we actually we focused on a particular individual actually rather than a particular place this or is thing. interesting and um <clears throat> the building we, i think was built for like the duke of westminster as a base for, for kind of his country pursuits um, which involved horse racing and deer stalking and all those sort of bits of finery and um, you, you could almost like smell the leather and the tobacco. It was that, you know, that real kind of of a period, if you like. So we kind of took quite a few cues from that. So there was lots of references to horse racing, saddlery, you know, leather straps, sounds a bit kink of this, but, you know, diamond studding, all those kind of bits that you pick up from that you know, how's these riding boots put together with, the, you know, with the brass buckle? How can you bring elements of that into the space? Stitching details, all that kind of thing. But what was actually nice with that, there was this sort of, I guess, kind of layered through the ages because there was him, this sort of duke that had this love of horse riding, but the hotel we were trying to get people that were going to Chester races to use this hotel before and afterwards. Hence why we kind of wanted to put this sort of pool on the roof and whatnot. But then you kind of got that link then there was this sort of this this duke and and how he sort of he used the building and then and it was all about mm. horse racing then you've got this modern use of of horse racing and, and the two just overlapped really nicely it just became this kind of really nice 
I guess, subtle, probably a, a little bit abstract in parts concept. It was lovely. It turned out really great. Yeah. I mean, how long did it take you from start to finish? And was there a moment where the design narrative kind of steered into a different direction? Or was it always, as you like you mentioned it, you're simplifying it because you can go down so many different routes. But at what point did that simplification happen? Was it early on in the project? Yeah. I mean, I just that <clears throat> quite often when you've got a design studio or a project, the actual amount of time you get to design is not 99% of the projects. It's quite often more yeah. like 10%. Uh, so I think, you know, that was quite, it's quite a, an intense, you know, we've got to get this narrative in for planning and because uh, it's a heritage building, you want to get listing, listed building consent. So this was all part of the story and how we were sort of respecting the building and, and its heritage. So it was quite a, probably a, a four week period, I would say, Hamish, it was, it was a quite a rapid one that, but, you know, fun mm. and, and productive nonetheless. It's just amazing being able to work in heritage buildings and to bring them back to life. And I love what you said earlier about finding a nook and then like realizing that actually that's the space you want to utilize in, in a different mm -hmm. way. Were there areas within this hotel that kind of really lent to that kind of way of thinking? Yeah, <clears throat> there was. There was because it's part of the roles and the roles are essentially, I see if I can describe this to you. So you've got the historical street outside Bridge Street and then you've actually got another level of street which is a floor up and that's basically to separate the, the gentry from us ordinary people Hamish from you and I and um, <laughs> speak for yourself <laughs> <laughs> and um, so there was there was almost like two entrances so there's one entrance that that entered onto the rose which is the upper level and we found this really nice kind of nook space <clears throat> lovely it was it was it was tiny it was almost you it's almost like you couldn't really use it for anything but we we just put this sort of beautiful paneled finish on the inside and, you know, introducing that sort of lever and it became this quite exclusive, quite unique space that became, you know, if you could get that space, you were quite lucky and you probably paid a bit of a premium for it. So, um, yeah, there was a number of, there was a number of spaces like that on that particular building. You know, it's, it's a pleasure to work on, on that kind of thing, you know, cause you never know what you're going to find. I remember when we first, first walk round, you know, you, you open up doors and there's all sorts of creatures that have been living in there for the past 30 years and they've never been discovered and you know it's, yeah. just, it's just great you know it's, it's do you know so I've, I've been in this industry for a number of years but i did my first hard hat tour um oh yeah last year or the year before and uh i was terrified for the designers because you just see it as a building site and it's terrifying to you hear all these plans what they're going to do and then yeah. like a few months later you go back and it's all done it's like yeah. does, does it ever terrify you walking around a building <clears> site thinking got a way to go i guess it's not really on you then is it it's on the contractors no, yeah i mean it's more i hope this is going to look like what we <clears throat> think it's going to look like and that's you kind of putting mm. your life into the hands of the contracts i mean you can you can eliminate as much risk as you possibly can by you know the processes you've got in the studio to draw things technically correctly and you've been through the design process and the creative process and you've checked it and you've double checked it again and it's but eventually there's somebody else that's building it and you're putting it in the hands of that person and you know they're reading your drawings and interpreting your drawings so so yeah you you kind of at, at the mercy of of the contractor but no i mean i, I love going to site i do um, certainly when the drawing elements turn up because that's when the real kind of magic begins you know
Absolutely, yeah. I'd love to be a fly on the wall. It'd be amazing. <laughs> you come spend the day with us. Come and spend the day with us. I need a month. I need a month of a project. I need to see it all the way through. <laughs> I need to be staying at Wilds Chester as well. This series of Design Pod is sponsored by Geberit, a bathroom manufacturer that has just launched its latest hotel guest experience report for 2023, working in collaboration with some of the UK's leading architects and design pioneers. The publication, now in its third year, explores the challenges and opportunities facing hotels today, and it's a must-read for anyone designing hotels for the future. In addition to obviously super luxury properties, you've also done quite a lot of work in the lifestyle sector. And in terms of bearing in mind the theme is like unconventional narratives, how easy or difficult is it to integrate new thinking into brands that are really established? I'm thinking about like the work you did in Malta with Tribe, for example. Brand narratives are softened than what they used to be. Is it easy to speak to clients and, and get things through in terms of like new ideas and new thinking, or is it, you know, still a challenge? Um, sometimes there are parameters, and I think sometimes having no parameters can actually be a little bit harder. It's quite nice to have this kind of base level of definites and a tone of voice or an attitude to work with. I think otherwise the wheels might probably fall fall off I mean I always kind of imagine being like this free floating balloon that's kind of tethered to a line if you like I guess also it's not just about keeping you within like the parameters of where the client's thinking but it's also nice for the designer to know that they're on the same wavelength as the client and vice versa as well yeah and you know you mentioned that the project in Malta so that concept that we did for for tribe and um, I think we had a you know loads of freedom on that project really to do what we want, but in effect, all you're doing is you're amplifying a brand rather than defining it per se. So you've still got some mm. parameters that you you're working with, um, and, and I think that's probably I think that's probably for me is the happy medium. I think Hamish, you've got some, you've got a really good like, tone of voice to work with, and Tribe in particular is really strong. Um, but you've got you've got freedom to work around that. I think in the case of like budget hotels, you're probably a, a little bit more restricted by the brand and probably you know by cost, and they've been sort of engineered for economies of scale. And but that's not really sort of our bag. We're not we're not sort of in that in that market, and it's probably something that I wouldn't want to to work in. I don't think. Yeah, and, and I guess like the good thing about lifestyle is that you've got. A real opportunity to to amplify a personality of a brand as, as you were just saying and i think the real lungs of that is is in the f&b areas how, how are food and beverage and restaurants changing within hotels and how, what was design's role in all of that um I th- well i think probably the amount of money that's being spent on f&b areas is probably increased significantly and i'd probably say that less on actual rooms being forfeited for for f&b but I think, I mean, I don't want to get into sort of the post-pandemic discussion. No, but it's a factor but and it, 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 it is a swear word within the industry. And I totally yeah. get it because I have to stop myself all the time from talking about it. But at yeah. the end of the day, it was the biggest cultural shift that our industry has seen potentially ever. You know, yeah, yeah. Things, behaviours change from that. What we learn from the F&B industry, I think, is what F&B industry does really well, is create amazing spaces that provide an experience that expose you to art, 
exposure to culture, you know, design through food, you get a really fantastic service. And effectively, that is to make you stay within the space. And, mm. you know, I think certainly uh, for, in the commercial world, that philosophy is being brought into the commercial world because they want people to stay in the office and yeah. stay in the workspace. So I think, you know, that what we can learn from the F&B industry is, is really key. But also as a revenue driver for Hotelier, F&B can be really important. And I think if you've got a site that's, you know, in a really prominent corner on a busy, you know, high street somewhere in New York, London, wherever it is. And if you put the right F&B offer on that, on that site, you know, that will elevate the, the rest of the hotel and help drive revenue. It's interesting you say that. What I'm seeing, not all the time, but the one thing I just can't bear is seeing a really amazing public area that's been designed, you know, really thoughtfully and has loads of materials and has loads of layers. And then clearly there's been loads of budget, you know, put towards those areas. And then you go to the bedrooms and it's like, well, there's no, there's no cohesion between the spaces. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's obviously hard because guest rooms are meant to be tranquil spaces, but Mm -hmm. I feel as if there's more emphasis these days on public areas because they are the revenue generators. And Mm -hmm. then once you've got the guests through the door and they're loyal and then they're deciding to stay for the Mm -hmm. night, it's almost like they're walking to their room and like, oh, okay. Like, and uh, clearly they're just like, oh, go party in the, public areas then yeah i feel as if there's i don't know i don't know what the answer is either because when these spaces are meant to be designed how do you create personality and add personality and inject personality into the guest rooms and suites without it being too kind of like multi-sensory and and confusing for the guests yeah you you tell me you're designing a hotel and the room and the f&b area don't are not cohesive and we'll we'll come i've got i've got a few in mind i'll tell you (laughs) i'll tell you Um, afterwards but no i mean that's got to be like none of your projects i hasten to add (laughs) Um, that's got to be the biggest kind of faux pas really hasn't it you know you can't it's just such a shame because it's like you've then got the guests involved and you know they're you create an amazing i i personally think you create an amazing um first impression and then the role for the rest of the hotel is yeah. to keep that impression there or, or elevate it even further. Yeah. But I think it's interesting for designers listening to this to understand when it, when it comes to the guest room, because it's such a, a personal space, it's private. How do you then add an unconventional narrative within the area of a private space that's meant to be tranquil and has a purpose to be relaxing? In your experience, what have you done to make the guest rooms exciting, but also still those areas of, of rest and calm? Yeah, great question. I think you've you've got to have you've got to have that cohesive narrative with the rooms and the public areas. That that's hundred percent for me. You've got you've got to do that. But then in terms of actually creating that tranquil space, I, just, I mean, for, it's the bigger picture stuff, the the, the simple stuff that's probably not quite so simple. So, um, you know, real focus on acoustics. You know, that 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 ability to sort of feel as though you you're in a your own space. You've got your own part of this little mini world that you're in you own that part of it for this amount of time i think being able to personalize that base i think is really important and again you know that appreciation of you know that experience of going in and and having a great piece of art that's intriguing that right you know so why is that there what's that telling me about this hotel and the city in which i'm in and so i think you you know having a really strong concept through the space just sort of helps to, uh, feel as though you, you experience something completely different that you don't get at home. And then I think what's quite nice, I actually read a, a really interesting article about spaces and being sort of this sort of tranquil space away from, from the noise. 
and how bathrooms and ergo toilets are becoming those spaces. And uh, I really quite like the idea of sort of, you know, where you're bringing in new elements of technology to get rid of noisy pipes and stuff like that to, to make these spaces sort of tranquil. So you're actually elevating them almost into this, you know, what was probably a secondary space using technology to elevate them into a higher part in the story of things. So I think bathrooms in rooms are just as important as the room itself. So, you know, how we design the bathroom, what's the textures in there, you know, what do we want people to feel when, they, when they're in that space in terms of the lighting um, solution? You know, there's just so many things to, to consider and balance in such a small you know, a small space. You know, that's that's you know, arguably one of the most fun parts of of designing a hotel is, is managing all that narrative in in one small space. Yeah, and and what's on offer now from the market is amazing. I mean, our podcast is sponsored by Geberit, and mm-hmm. they've they've just launched the the Geberit One, which is a series of furniture, WCs, mirrors, even. So you mm-hmm. can have that kind of cohesion within the bathroom. Yeah. with also knowing that it's quality material and quality products but from other brands as well I mean there's so many colors so many materials so much texture but yeah. the one thing that I'm finding or I've had panel discussions in the in the past is there's a hesitation to include too much texture in the bathrooms just because from a mm-hmm. cleanliness perspective and mm-hmm. operations it seems a bit of a shame really because mm-hmm. of what it adds to the design is there a solution in that or is it mainly around materials in hospitality would you say I think you know I would it's, it's about balance and and juxtaposition isn't it so you know if we've got to as designers produce those surfaces that are you know hygienic that's where we're heading on on this discussion then you know why don't we juxtapose that in the main room and you know that's where we can really sort of bring in texture and you know that more of a sensory experience from a more of a tactile perspective so i don't i wouldn't say it's certainly not a challenge it's Mm. just about setting the right tone and you know and quite often you can you know having a minimalist um, environment can really emulate that sense of luxury and more of a high-end feel so uh, I think in some ways it's it, it's easy to deal with in you know in bathrooms it's just looking at the surrounding area and specifying the right products really um, yeah, and, and as you say there's just so many I mean I was at Hicks last year the end of last year and there's just so many great products out there you know that are really interesting so yeah this you know as a designer there's just so much to go at there's so much more launched i mean i've just been in in paris where a brand launched 70 70 new collections wow Wow. it's it's amazing how much there is now that's on in the market i mean i can imagine that a lot of what your job is in the office and the studio is kind of just sifting through libraries to make sure you're up to date with the latest trends mm. technology and, and mm. products that are out there really yeah i mean it's amazing because you know but it does kind of go back to the what was it the single balloon or, or uh, yeah you need you yeah. need in the string to hold you, need you to down be tethered it's the to same yeah exactly yeah. it's yeah. the same with products though there are so yeah. many out there i mean it needs to it needs to make sense you can't just be specifying for specifying sake which leads me really nicely to talk about technology and yeah. We've done a lot of talk and we've done a few reports on sensory design. We had an episode earlier in the series. What are you seeing that's allowing designers to define new, unique narratives in design through the senses? I think for a long time, we were kind of limited in terms of sensory design to look at acoustics. And as you said, with the bathrooms, Mm. it makes a lot of sense. Mm. But I think it's interesting to understand how like a sense could enhance the room done in, in a really nice way and not gimmicky so that it's like, we'll save your favorite playlist as opposed to kind of like, you know, something that really kind of adds to the feeling. Um, yeah. 
it's so important to you know it just goes back to the whole experience and I saw, it I mean, kind of just not, takes design to a 4d dimension it, i it, guess it does but it's actually a quite a nice use of techno well it is technology the, the ability to be able to to create a sense in a space i mean that's technology you know that and that's we didn't have that previously and i think the whole kind of discussion around technology in hospitality is an interesting one and i will go back to the center in a minute i'm just going a bit around the houses but it it. it, it is an interesting one because you know hospitality is all about people isn't it and it's about having that that human-centric kind of approach and when you land there's somebody there that meets and greets you and it's in some ways technology can it can depersonalize that and i think you know when we're talking about sort of self-checkings and that that element of technology sometimes i think that takes something away from hospitality and and then when you got onto the sort of quite like what ruby hotels do they have they have their self-check-in but it's right by the bar so you've always got someone there who can firstly help you but also just say hi how's your day going you know yeah Yeah, Yeah. that's why i like it (laughs) yeah but i mean there's there's an there's an age factor there as well for me which sometimes doesn't work you know i mean when we're older hamish and we'll we're going to stay in hotels and we're sort of you know, struggling with technology. There's just something about, you know, somebody that has paid as much as me to to enjoy this experience and this level of hospitality. And it's, it's difficult for them to sort of go and figure out a self-checking where they expect somebody, you know, to say, you know, hi, Mr. Williams, welcome, you know, and, and have that experience. I think that's something that we need to consider which technology perhaps takes away. But absolutely, when you're talking about sensecapes and you know, the you know, technology that helps us dampen sound and take away bad smells and putting good ones, you know, that's the that in a hospitality environment, it's only sound like small things, but they're so important. You know, it's it's about that it's about the whole when you're designing the hotel and those things as small as they may seem can are everything in a in a project. Absolutely. We're running out of time. So I have one more question for you, and that's really about the future. Where do you see Space of Vader sort of evolving in the next five years? So I think there's a couple of things for me. So I think coming out of, here's the word, the pandemic again. I think what you just, what I'm going to say. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's just sort of having this sustainable approach to a studio. And it's just about balance and about, creating something that's really special and really different and and managing that and not trying to grow it or you know we know who we are let's stay who we are let's evolve let's you know let's challenge and let's push but you know it's not about reaching too far and that for me is 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 my goal as a studio to just remain balanced and you know and sustainable that's uh, yeah Big part. I think a lot of big studios that have grown, you know, and, and had that as their mission, they're really now trying to strive to clench onto that social aspect, not only in their projects, but also in their culture as a studio as well. And it feels to me like you've always done that and you've always championed yeah. that. And that's why you win the projects you're winning. And that's why yeah. you're working on the projects you're working on. That's why you've you know just naturally commanded the respect that you've you've got and deserve yeah. and i think for me that's a really positive you know your studio is a great example of a studio doing it right in terms of yeah. social side of esg mm-hmm. is, is really kind of pushing that forward and and i think then you know the good ideas the sustainability initiatives they all form from that because Absolutely. then no one's afraid to speak their yeah. mind and have an idea that's so true you know it's so true 
and it's really transparent as well. It's really transparent to see the studios that are doing it right and the ones that are just yeah. putting on their veneer. <laughs> I think it's just, you know, it's that, and this is a really important part. Part of it for me is the idea of sort of wearing your heart on your sleeve. Uh, you know, that if you go into a project with that element of openness, you get that back. You know, the, the project becomes open and honest. The solution is open and honest. The client's open and honest back. And I think if you just, if you've got that, it, it adds value in the sort of in the end product, I think. Uh, and absolutely, you know, and if and everybody's kind of bought into that, and clients see that the way you talk on the phone, the way you present, the way you pull a document together, it's kind of in everything, isn't it? It's in everything that you you do as as a studio. Yeah, totally. And I think that's why work starts becoming a lifestyle and, and yeah. like a nine to five, you know. Yeah. But, you know, and if you enjoy that lifestyle, then that's yeah. that's the that's the key that's the key Absolutely. thank you so much john for joining us um thank you and really thank you it. for concluding our series four of design pod it's been a pleasure thank you thanks hamish brilliant thank you ah that was such a lovely conversation and what an apt way to end the series it's amazing i've known john for a good few years and i never knew that story about the photo shoot and narrative about launching space invader Seriously, these podcasts have a way of like opening the design studio door that much wider to let us in on those kind of nifty little stories that we wouldn't know otherwise. So that is your lot for series four. We've recorded eight episodes and I would like to thank all the designers and architects who joined me over the last eight episodes. We have Richard Holland, Mark Tweedle, Michael Curry, Ren Lokes, Pallavi Dean, Derek Schober, Alessandro Munche, Neil Andrew, and of course, John Williams. But I'd also like to thank Mel Yates, who has been our producer for the last two series who has meticulously pieced together each episode. And of course, I have to thank our series sponsor, which is Geberit. They've been a really meaningful sponsor and I've really enjoyed over the last eight episodes learning more about the brand and its direction moving forward. I'm your host, Hamish Kilburn, the editor of Hotel Designs, and I really look forward to hosting and recording more design pod content soon. Until then, take care and feel free to message us over on Instagram. Hotel Designs is at Hotel Designs and I am at Hotel Travel Editor to let us know about the topics you want to hear about in the next series.